Today's scripture comes from the book of, book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Please rise for the reading of the word of the Lord. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Do I neither fear God nor respect man? Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not, give just God, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, It's good to be here. I just wanted to pray before I give the the message. Could we just bow our heads one more time? Let's pray. God, uh, we are in tumultuous times. Um, We don't know exactly um, sometimes where the church fits. You know, are we left? Are we right? Uh, When we look at the left and right, we believe they don't know what's the difference between up and down. And so we are in this time. And because of this, uh, we want to come to you now. We want to come to you for discernment and wisdom. We want to come to you for clarity. But most of all, Lord God, we pray that you give us eyes and ears so that we can hear Uh, the truth, that we can yearn for the word, and that we can be changed today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to supplement what we read today, because what we read today is pretty amazing. It's amazing that Jesus would say this 2,000 years ago, and how relevant it is today. I want to supplement with uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You all probably have heard this before, but I'm just going to read it. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? I want to integrate three points into this message. I'm just going to tell it to you now. Um, Number one is love what God loves. Number two is be persistent in the matters of justice. And number three, it's God is the guarantor. Love what God loves. Be persistent in the matters of justice. And God is the guarantor. You know, we come to verses in the Bible and we love it, especially um, we didn't do it this year. Uh, But in the past, we put out Bible verses for people to get at the end of the year, and people would take this and be blessed by it. We love to take verses, and we didn't do it on purpose because I want this to be a teaching moment. Um, Not that it's necessarily bad, but I want it to be a teaching moment. We need to grow. And so we would take certain verses and be like, this is the promise God has given me. As if one verse or two verses in the Bible can actually capture the promises God has given you. The promises God has given us and you is in the entire word. 
We have to know the word. We have to love the word. We need to be able to read the word and understand the word. It's not only deep, but it can be complex at times. But that's why we gather, to really search and find the meanings and to really rejoice when we see, wow, this is it. So we'll come up to a verse like John 14, 14, where it says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Be like, yeah, that's a great verse, isn't it? I'm going to take that, put it in my pocket. And if I ask anything in Jesus' name, it's mine. You know what? Let's say it out loud. And you'll hear perhaps in certain gatherings, this is the promise God has given us. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So won't we, shouldn't we ask in Jesus' name and have that faith that this will be given to us? What about the verses before and after? What about the verses before and after when Jesus is talking about how he wants to do it so that he can glorify the Father? What about the verses that come before and show the heart in, in the context and why Jesus is saying these things? We come to a verse like Psalm 37, 4 and says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Man, that's good. That's one of my favorite ones because he's just going to give me every desire of my heart. That's amazing. All I have to be like, yay, God. You know, I, I sang a few songs today. Now I get every desire in my heart. Man, that's a great verse to have. You know what? I'll write it down, and I'll put it in my pocket, and I'll carry it around. Um, do you actually know what it means to delight yourself in the Lord? You know, that's a challenge I give myself. I still love the verse. Uh, I may joke around sometimes, but I still love the verse, and I believe it is a promise not only given to me, but all of Psalm 37 is what, when my family, my extended family gather, we read Psalm 37. And we take this as a promise. Delight yourself in the Lord. What does that even mean to delight yourself in the Lord? You know, that comes first before getting the desires of the heart. And so, you know, we study it. We think about it. What is right and what is wrong? And today, and I mentioned this, if you ever come to, and I want you to really come to our Saturday uh, prayer meetings. Uh, it's at 8 a.m., it used to be at 6, but people said, man, that's early. So we pushed it down to 8. This is where I felt like I've cheated myself sometimes to give in. But, you know, we want everybody to come out because it's such an important time to come out to pray together. And I talked about it a little bit uh, yesterday, too. And on Saturdays, I go a little deeper into certain issues um, rather than on a Sunday. But mentioned a little bit about the Women's March that happened on Saturday and what my thoughts and feelings were. Um, and there was another march the day after. Uh, most recently, there's protests now at JFK and other airports. And if you see what's going on, um, the question always has to come up, you know, what's right? What's wrong? The interesting thing is, uh, everybody already seems to know the answer. Everybody already seems to know the answer, and no one agrees. No one agrees. That's so fascinating to me. You already have a bias and an opinion about a certain movement, about a certain action or a thought or belief, and no one is united. That's, of course, because everyone on the other side are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't even talk to me. You're on the other side. And that, to me, has become a fascinating thing in our world today, and it's no surprise because of what postmodernism has brought. 
Meaning, what you believe is absolutely true. If you feel it, it's absolute, you know? And that's what postmodernism has come to give us uh, this existentialism where we think we, once we experience it, this is the absolute truth. Um, this is a pretty new concept. That's why it's postmodernism. But is it the truth? How come no one challenges that? Because it's already accepted? And so, uh, some people came to me, they had a, a huge concern. It's like, you know, I really am for this woman's march, but I don't know exactly what to do um, because of the things that they stand for. I don't completely stand for it. And I would respond, that's okay. You know, it's okay if you don't stand completely for what every movement stands for. But is there a core and is there an essence to the movement that you can kind of resonate with? And I hope so. I hope that people in our congregation can resonate with the Women's March that happened last week, Saturday, and also the pro-life movement march that happened on Sunday. And if you can't relate because you can't get away from your bias and your bitterness and hate, I would have to ask you to reassess your heart. Because as a Christian, we are supposed to sympathize and empathize, especially with those that don't agree with us. Especially with those that don't agree with us. That's foundational to the Christian faith. In fact, Jesus went around and everybody ridiculed him. They were pointing fingers at him. They said, you're not even a teacher. You're a drunkard. You're a a slob. You're a glutton. But he still let them hang out with him. He didn't go cast them out. You know, they don't get a voice here. He answered their questions. And so uh, there was a pastor in the West Coast. His name is Eugene Cho. He wrote on his wall to support both the equality of women and the dignity of the unborn feels like a very lonely place to be, but we are not alone. Maybe press on. And I thought that was so poignant uh, to what the church is going through today. Uh, We do want equality uh, for people and especially women. We also want uh, the voices of those that can't stand up for themselves, especially the unborn, uh, to be represented as best we can. And so sometimes, you know, it's not even a choice for us. The world, doesn't, the world will put out these choices and the choice that we want isn't there. So we have to pick one or the other. And I wanna say to you, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. What the world presents to you as the only choices, otherwise you don't matter, is not reality. What we go by is what the Bible teaches us. And what we go by is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we gather and pray. Always using the word of God uh, as not just a filter, but as an inspirer of what we do. the interesting thing is, the more I did studies on what's going on and why it's going on, is, is just fascinating to me. Um, in the 1950s, we had uh, you know, women feminist marches that were so necessary. Uh, we needed to um, have the women liberated. That's why we had women's suffrage. And there was another wave that came by, and that second wave was for prohibition and jobs and abortion. And today, third wave feminists um, can't agree on what they stand for. So 
they, they put out, if you, if you saw the march, they put out all these statements um, of what they stood for, which not everybody really stood for. Uh, but the most interesting thing is, is while we continue to fight, especially if it's uh, from this woman's rights perspective, while we continue to fight for rights, uh, I want to look at the health of a woman in the United States, the health of women in how they are perceived and how they feel. Those are very important things. And one of the most interesting things I came up I came upon was that modern women uh, now use psychotherapeutic antidepressants at a rate never be before seen in history. And this one author, Rebecca Merkel, would say, um, women now need more liberating than ever. Uh, this is a report from Medco Health Solutions. Antidepressant use is especially high among women. In 2011, it was up 29% since 2001. And the report showed that anti-anxiety meds are used by women almost at twice the rate seen among men. Uh, in 2010, 11% of middle-aged women were on anti-anxiety medication, while only 5.7% of men that age were. Um, the statistic is one in four women are on antidepressants, and women using uh, these prescribed antidepressants are way higher than men. And so when we come to these statistics and we see it, what, how do we feel about it? And that's my challenge to you. If I say a statistic, the interesting thing is everybody already has a reason. It's obviously this thing's fault, or it's obviously because of this. It's obviously because of that. And I would dare say, uh, no, that's not how we approach the word. That's not how we approach uh, problems of today. As a church, what we want to do is we want to come together, and what we do is we listen. And the first thing we do after we listen is we pray. We pray because how do you know what the answer is? Because everybody's been saying, I know the answer, I know the answer, and the answer's not working. In fact, statistically, we could say it's getting worse. What's the answer? Uh, I don't think women know the answer. And men, if you think because of that, you know the answer. We're, we, don't, we don't even more know the answer, if that makes any sense. We don't even more know the answer. We don't know the answer. And now what we are saying is we want equality. We want equality. Uh, and I think that word has changed meaning over time. I don't think it's equality we want. Uh, that's how I'd respond. If it's equality we wanted, then we would be satisfied being subject to the same law. If it's equality we wanted, we would be satisfied being subject to the same law, the law that we've been given. So how do we know what's left, what's right, what's up, what's down? And I would say we need to go back, and this is where we come back to the thing, we need to go back to the Bible. We need to go back to what God's heart is, where it is. And we need to, number one, love what God loves. Can we say, as a church, we love what God loves? And I hope the answer is yes, because this is what we are striving to be. We love what God loves, and I want to, this is, this is very deep, this can take a long time, but I just want to take one facet of that and present it to you today. If we are to love what God loves, then we have to hate what God hates. If we are to love what God loves, we must hate what God hates. 
And God does hate. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, 31, Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5, Jeremiah 12, 7, 8, Amos 6, 8, Malachi 1, chapter 1, 2 to 3, Romans chapter 12, 9, Revelations 2, 6 are just the things I could, I could put on top of my head when I was just looking for the word hate. You can, you can rewind this if, because it's recorded and then you can write down if you want to look it up. Um, God hates certain things, but we know that God is a God of love. So to love something, you must also know that you have to hate something. And so I want to go to Proverbs 12, 22, uh, where it says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And even go back further to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verse 16 to 19, I really liked as a kid because it was confusing. Um, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, and seven that are an abomination to him. You guys remember ever reading this in Proverbs? There are six things that the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. And I, I was reading this as a kid. I was like, what does that even mean? Why six and then seven? I don't know exactly how to interpret it. But what it does is, what it does is highlights the seventh one. So God hates all seven, but the seventh one is uh, peculiar uh, because it's highlighted. And those things are haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So number one, haughty eyes. God hates the prideful. God hates it. And if you come to him with a heart of pride saying, I know the answers, God. When I pray, I pray these are the answers. That is not humility. In fact, I would urge you when we pray for things that are in, because of this national discord, um, when we pray, we pray with a humble heart saying, God, give us discernment, give us clarity. God, give us the answers on how we can respond in a loving manner. A lying tongue. Uh, yeah, we gotta stop lying, right? God hates that. <laughs> Hands that shed innocent blood, uh, people that like violence, um, a heart that devises wicked plans uh, instead of plans to help others. We always constantly think, how can we help myself? And who cares about anybody else? Feet that make haste to run to evil, people that love to have shortcuts um, just to get that plan done, regardless of why God had set a long journey in place, you know? Uh, false witness who breathes out lies, people who love gossip. And finally, the one that's highlighted is the one who sows discord among brothers, um, people that are against unity, that continue to pit one against the other. These are things that God not only hates, but he considers an abomination. Um, Abomination is not just an aversion, but it's like a loathing. And so when we come together to pray, there is a topic that we always say, let's pray. Uh, let's pray for humility. Let's pray for holiness. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray for maturity. Let's pray for growth. These are things that God does love. And so we want to continue to gather together to pray for these things. Um, how can we um, not be so one-sided because now what we see in our, um, 
our culture and society today is, because we are people of love, let's cover everything. Who cares about right and wrong? God just wants us to love. So no matter what it is, let's just love, let's just love, let's just love. And there are some people who are on the justice side. You know what? God has already ordained what is right and wrong. We need to keep it. We are the caretakers or the protectors of the truth. And so we need to make sure we tell people what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And you have these people on both sides. I like to call it the left and right wing, right? And how do you make sure that love and justice uh, are both being carried out? There's a great illustration uh, that I was told. And that was a long time ago, there was this king. And this king had this really hideous scar on, on his forehead. It was so ugly. Um, but he was a great king. And so they wanted to really serve the king. And they got together and said, you know what? Let us paint a portrait for the king. And they started talking. This group started talking. How do we do that? If, and so one side said, uh, we just got to draw or paint the king as himself. Um, that's actually what he looks like. And the other side said, no, that scar is so hideous, we should just erase it from the painting. And they started arguing amongst each other what they should do for the painting. And finally, one wise person got up and said, you know what, I have an idea, we'll paint it this way. And they painted it that way. And there was a revealing. And in the revealing, the king came down and all the people came down. They revealed the portrait, the painting, and everybody was pleased. And it was a painting of the king. And the painter decided to paint him thinking like this. It's like this. So he's covering the scar. <laughs> and so everybody was happy. Uh, essentially, we tend to be on one side or the other. I think so. How do we marry the two? Um, I believe, as Christians, the cross is the ultimate marriage of love and justice. The love of God is poured out on the cross, and the wrath of God is being satisfied on the cross. And so what we preach here isn't that we should stand up for certain rights. Um, those are all important, but the ultimate thing that we preach here is that we preach Christ crucified. And because of Christ crucified, we have a hope that we can go into. And especially what is shown here in Jesus' parable is he told them this parable, it says in verse 1, he told them this parable so that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Because of the cross, we can pray and not lose heart about these matters. Even if we don't know exactly what the answer is, we come with a heart of humility saying, we don't know all the answers, but what I am willing to do is I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to pray and I will not lose heart. And so <clears throat> he was talking about uh, there was a certain city, there was a judge, uh, this is so interesting because uh, Plutarch also tells of a poor old woman who begged Philip of Macedon. And Philip of Macedon was the, king, uh, the father of Alexander the Great. And there was a poor old woman who begged unsuccessfully for justice. And Philip told the old woman that he had no time for her. And she burst out, then give up being king. 
And amazed, Philip proceeded to hear her case as others as well. Um, and Jesus tells of this story. Who is the widow? The widow is the most marginalized person in society at the time. They had no voice. A person without voice. And who is the judge? The judge is being described as someone who didn't fear God or man. He didn't give a hoot about anything other than himself. He didn't give a hoot about nothing, is basically what this judge was. He didn't care about justice, but because this woman kept on banging on his door and cried for justice, he stopped wanting to be bothered, and he granted justice. And Jesus is telling this parable because he wants us to continue to pray, but also continue to ask for justice. And not only does he do that, but he, he then moves on. If this is true for the unjust judge, then what about God? What would God do? And in verse 7 it says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? See, God is the one that is showing us if there is injustice, we ought to cry out to him. And he is the one that brings justice. When we cry out to him, he is the good judge that wants to carry out justice, and he will give it to us. Will he delay over them? He said, no. Jesus goes, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You know, when we start adopting God's heart and we pray for justice in the world, when we gather together to pray, God is promising us that he will give us justice speedily. And this is what we have to do. We have a guarantee of God listening to us because what is given to us through the cross. The cross is that guarantee. Uh, I really love the way he ends it, though. He ends it, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He is saying, God? And this is what MLK Jr. said as well. He says the universe bends towards justice. He famously said that. Meaning God will always bring things into justice in his time. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, right? But Jesus ends it with this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God is faithful. He will bring justice to the world. We are supposed to stand with him as he moves and bends towards justice. We, that's why we stand and we fight for justice. And when we see injustice, we stand against it. And God will give justice. But nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And this is a challenge that's given to his listeners, especially his disciples, those who call themselves disciples. When Jesus comes back, Will you be, still be people of faith? Because God will be faithful. Will you still have faith? And that to me was a crazy way to end the parable. Because all from the beginning to the middle to almost the end, it was justice. Justice is about me getting what I need and what I deserve. Justice is about making sure that we take the poor, we take those that are downtrodden, we take those without a voice, and we give them a voice. Justice is about bringing people up, and it's so good, I feel good, and yet Jesus ends it with almost a warning. 
saying, will I find people of faith when I come back? While love and justice is important, what we have to remember, as it is married to the cross, the cross, I'm sorry, love and justice is married because of the cross, as we look to the cross, do we see the cross point to God? Are we making sure that everything that we do is glorifying God? That's why we watch what we say. That's why even if you join a movement, no matter what movement it is, and they start going on another path, and it's not godly, it's not holy, it's not pure, we don't give in or succumb to that kind of emotion, that rawness of bitterness. We do not. Because what we are saying is we want to have faith that God will carry us through. We want to stand with those that don't have a voice, but we want to make sure that it is because we have faith that God will deliver us. And God has effectively through the cross. Ultimately, when we look at even Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about people of faith. None of them in Hebrews says got what they really wanted. But they were still commended as people of faith. None of them actually saw the fulfillment and the completeness of the promise. But they were still commended as people of faith. Why? Because that completeness, the wholeness, the fulfillness was given in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate, ultimate fruition of what we have been longing for as people, as humans. We see that in this world today, when we don't know whether to go left or right, when we're not sure what's up and down, as Christians, we have been called to look and focus our eyes on Jesus. Jesus doesn't only have the answer, but he is the answer. And when we follow Jesus, we see things that we could have never thought of before or have even imagined. We do things that we never imagined doing because God's spirit moves us in a way that we could not have imagined because God is God. And how do we do that? And I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, one last time. We do that by praying together. We do that by humbly seeking God, saying we don't have all the answers. Would you speak to me? Would you soften my heart? My heart has become angry and bitter over the years. We do that by relying and leaning, not on our own knowledge, but on Jesus. Not on our own wisdom, but on Jesus. And even if we don't see it, Dr. Martin Luther King didn't actually see everything that he wanted come into fruition, and he was taken from us before that. But even if death were to come, the promise of the cross is that death will not stop you. You know, when you didn't have a promise fulfilled in this life, it was done, it's over. People wanted desperately to take whatever they could. Even though we didn't see the full, uh, complete fruition of your potential, whatever it was, we, 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 we knew that death would be the end. So people desperately even try to take it with them. That's why we have pyramids and things like that, only later to be robbed and really end up with nothing. But the resurrection 
of the cross changed that for us, that death doesn't stop us, that it doesn't stop with death. But there is a hope even after death. That, I think, is one of the most powerful things you could ever hear. We're crying out for certain things to be changed, certain things to happen. And the guarantee that the cross gives us is that, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. And guess what? Nothing's going to stop you. Not even death. What a guarantee we have. What a reason to rejoice and to be lifted up. What a reason to then be filled and infused with hope. Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. What a promise we have in Jesus Christ. And that is why we need to come and be reminded that even if the world will tell you this is hopeless, this is hopeless, this is hopeless, that is not the truth and that is not reality. The reality is that we have hope, a hope that is unending and undying, and it is in Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you now, because we are gathered together, what are things in your life that when you think about it, you feel hopeless about? And I want you to bring it to the cross. And I want to encourage you, in the cross, there is no such thing as hopelessness. God wants to renew his church. He wants to rejuvenate your life. He wants to give you the fullness of the spirit so that you can do the right things, that you can truly encourage the other, that you can live a life of love as you were meant to live. Let's pray.